can be seated. Mercy. I could have done without that last song. Wow, that uh, blesses my gizzard. It's uh, hard for me to recover from that one. But I've been asked to talk today on the subject of influence, and I, it, it takes me back to June of 1978. Uh, I was 20 years old, and Robin and I were newlyweds. We were moving into our first house together, a little 900-square-foot ranch house in Brighton, Michigan, a little country town between Detroit and Lansing. Uh, and we were starting our, our life together. We, we were high school sweethearts. So we met in, in Garden City, a, a blue-collar working-class neighborhood uh, outside of Detroit. And during the school year, I lived with my mom and my stepdad. So we lived a normal blue-collar Ford Motor Company working existence. Uh, we had five kids, three dogs, three bedrooms, two adults, uh, one bathroom. And somehow we didn't think we were missing anything. Everybody else that we knew grew up the exact same way. Uh, and so I watched my stepdad work at Ford every day, just on the line, come home, and we bumped and painted cars in the garage at night. So came home, get a sandwich, get a beer, go in the garage, stay there all night, get up the next day, go to work. This is what men did. In the summers, I lived with my dad, and my dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, he started a foam manufacturing company in 1973 when I was 13. And uh, so in the summers, I worked in a factory doing factory work. Uh, and I learned how to work hard, and I learned how to watch my dad who was, had varying degrees of success. He went bankrupt twice in 18 years, but uh, he was always willing to swing for the fences, so I got an idea of what that was like. But when I got married, I didn't have giant expectations out of life. I, I, you know, uh, I, I, I wanted to have a wife, and, I, and I, I got a good one. I can tell you, 37 years later, uh, you, you should wish you were so lucky as to get the one I got. But, you know, my, my only goal was to just have a family. I wanted to have kids. This little 900-square-foot house was great. The garage was detached. So you can work on your car without getting fumes in the house. You know how that goes when you're working on your car. And my idea of influence was I didn't have any, nor did I want any. I had no expectation of having any influence. It was not even on my radar. My family, my family uh, were not Christians. They're hardworking, good people. But I watched them in, in live a life that what I learned later to be described as a miry pit. They climb, 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 slide back to the bottom. Climb, 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 slide down to the bottom. And their life really never went anywhere, but you know, they, they did the best they could. My expectation was more of the same. So uh, you know, I was fairly happy with my, my uh, dog and my shotgun and shooting rabbits and living in the country. Uh, little did I know that 18 months later, I would accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior in my life. And at that moment, he was going to take me out of that miry pit and he's going to put my feet on a rock. And that rock is Christ Jesus. And when he put my feet on granite, he was going to expect something from me. He was going to put a call on my life. And he was going to say, to whom much has been given, much will be expected. And then he was going to set a course for my life that was going to be very different from what I ever anticipated. And now, 37 years later, I'm looking back and I'm going to say, I couldn't have imagined, I couldn't have imagined my life as it is today I couldn't have thought to ask for it. I couldn't pray for it because I couldn't have imagined it. Uh, and so today, uh, we're going to talk about influence, and Pastor Steve has asked me to bring the first message on influence, probably because at this stage, I do have influence in my little world. Now, I'm not influential as a golfer. I'm the world's worst golfer. I'm not influential as an underwater basket weaver, but I am influential as a businessman, and God has given me a role to, to be a leader in a lot of different areas so we're going to talk about how to have influence, and we're going to learn this from Luke chapter 10, and we're going to explore four basic uh, areas where we are going to have influence. We're going to start by talking about the command to go. God tells us to go. We're going to talk about the importance of our circle 
of relationships or a circle of responsibility, as Pastor Steve calls our core. We're going to talk about being intentional, and then we're going to get to my favorite part, which is just love the people that God puts in your core. This is not complicated. So we're going to talk about this. My, my hope today and my prayer for today's message is really simple. I'm going to throw a zillion verses of Scripture at you. Half of them I'll get right. The other half I will not. I'm going to throw a lot of ideas. I want you to write down one or two that you can do. Guys, I'm not, I'm not a doctrinal uh, genius. I'm a, a guy that's all about getting it done. Just do it. So hopefully you've got one or two things you're going to walk away with that I'm going to challenge you with that you're going to do in the next seven days. We're going to pray about that at the end of this message. So turning your Bibles, your Bible apps, or just your memory bank, or read the screen uh, about Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 to us. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So there's a couple things I want to point out in this portion of the scripture. And the first one is the Lord Jesus, God in human flesh, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, tells us to go. Now you think, go, holy cow. Uh, you start thinking about the great commission, you know, it, it, which is go and make disciples of all nations, teach, you know, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son of the Holy Ghost, and you start envisioning yourself like the Apostle Paul. You're on a boat, you're going across the thing, then you're going to get beaten, and then you're going to bitten by snakes, and then you're going to get thrown in prison. There's just, this is, I don't want to go because I'm not qualified to do that. And, you know, some people, even in today's world, are called to be pastors, and they're called to be bitten by snakes. So I'm hoping you're working on that soon. They're called to, they're, they're called to go, missionaries, evangelists, that are going to do much like the Apostle Paul did. But most of us are not called to be pastors and not called to be evangelists, but we are called clearly to go. And, you know, and I think the question is, uh, go to where? You know, he sent these people to a specific place. The 70 were sent out. He didn't send each of the 70 to go to everybody. He sent each of them to go to somebody, to go to a certain town. So the, the next thing he says is, go your way. Go your way. Now, if, you, if God called you to be a missionary, Scott, then you go and, and you go uh, do what you're doing in Turkmenistan, and we'll do whatever we can to be there with you, go with you, do short-term trips. Um, but most of us are not called to Central Asia at the moment. So uh, God calls some people to just be ministers. And I want to tell you that although you may not be called to be the Apostle Paul uh, and, and, and go to Asia Minor, you are called to be a minister. 1 Corinthians 4.1 says, Let men so account of you as ministers and stewards of the mysteries of God. And you think, okay, here we go again. i got to be a minister. So now do I have to wear a jacket? Like, Do I have to have like this special little collar uh, kind of thing? Do I have to wear like a big cross with beads and be a minister? In the context there in 1 Corinthians 4, it is simply to be a servant. So what it's saying is when people take all the all the assets, all the debits, all the credits, they add them all up and they sum up your life. It should be this. Pat Culpepper was a servant and a steward of the mysteries of Christ. When you get to the end of your life, you'd hope that's what people said when they did an accounting of your life. Be a servant. Now, how hard is that to be a servant? Uh, you know, well, you got to ask yourself, where is your unique place? And I want you to ask yourself, where is your unique place to serve? 
Because God didn't call any of us to go everywhere, and he didn't call any of us to see everybody. I will tell you, in my life, by the time I was in probably 32, I had come to grips with the fact that God tailor-made me to minister in the world of business. This was, this was the place that I, first of all, I love it. I, I just love it. I love doing the work that I do. I love what I do, who I'm working with. And I'm also pretty good at it. And I, I found myself with an ability to be good at what I do. So I finally said, this is my place. God is sending me to business people. But some of you are doctors and teachers and lawyers, steel workers. I was, I was shingling a roof with my nephew a, a, a couple weekends ago. And the guy that's up on the roof is a roofer. He just is a neighbor. The, thank the baby Jesus. He came down the road to help us. Uh, and uh, the guy doesn't respect me because I'm a businessman. You know who he would respect? He'd respect a guy who could shingle that roof as good as he could or better. Because he prided himself on being awesome. And I told him he was awesome. Please don't leave. You're awesome. So who's going to reach a roofer? A shingler? Another shingler. Who's going to reach a truck driver? Another truck driver. Who's going to reach people that are at a country club? People that are in a country club. Folks, God's got people. He's got people. Look around the room. He's got them. We're here. God puts us and he makes us, he equips us and gives us a heart for different things. My wife, bless her, her heart, she loves working with little kids. I love little kids too, my own, my grandkids mostly. But sometimes it's like, oh, who could do this all day long? Somebody loves it. They love it. Uh, and thank God because God's got people. He sends her there. So God has equipped us to, to minister effectively. And I want to give you a couple, I want to take a little pressure off of you on this thing of going. When you think, okay, this is where God's called me to go. Now, how do I do this? How do I get started? It's not, God's not sending me on a missionary trip to Eurasia in a boat where I'm going to get bitten by snakes. So simple. Going could be as simple as walk to the end of your driveway, turn right, turn left, keep walking till you find your, a neighbor out working in their yard, fixing their car, painting their house and saying, can I help you? It could be as simple as just going. The first part, the first movement of go is to start moving. You got to get out there and get going. In my world of business, I will tell you one of my habits is I go out in the plant. Every, every time I'm in the office, I go out in the plant. I go out and I see every single person. Every single time I'm there, I see every single person. I say hi to them. I know it's my job, by the way, to know who their spouses are, what their kids' names are, what they're doing. Now, I only have 135 people, so this is not like I have a zillion uh, people. I'm not Bob that works for a giant company. But I'm going to walk and I'm going to talk to them. When new people come to work there, and this, is, this will shock you, but new people come there. Sometimes we'll hire 20 people at a time in the season. We're in the foam insulation business. Uh, and when that happens, we'll onboard 20 people in three weeks. I will find out where each of them are, what their names are, and I'll walk up to them in the plant and say, hi, uh, Bill, my name is Pat Culpepper. Welcome to Progressive Foam. How is everybody treating you today? If I've heard this once, I've heard it 100 times. People will say, you know, I, I ran into to Bill, and he says he loves your company, that you knew what his name was. Do you realize how important it is to a person just that you knew their name? Uh, and and uh, so... And then you come back, and uh, we have a new girl that just started with us, Desiree. So she's, I meet Desiree the first day. She's sort of blown away. I go on the road for three or four days. I come back, and I walk out in the plant, and I say, hey, Desiree, how are things going? How's your first, first week been? She turns around to her friend and says, he still remembers my name. Nobody ever remembers me. Nobody ever notices me. Nobody knows me. Nobody ever remembers my name. I said, well, it's not hard. It's just Desiree. It's not Duma Flitchett. I mean, I can remember Desiree. 
Um, so go and meet people. Just You don't want to go to restaurants. I go to the same restaurants all the time. I go to 91, and when I go to 91, Carrie uh, takes care of me. So I, I look at my, on my bill and say, oh, Carrie. So in my phone, I put down Carrie. Bad memory, good phone. And so the next time I go back to 91, Carrie's there, and I say, hey, Carrie, how you doing? Well, fine. Now she doesn't know who I am. So she wants to serve me so she can look at my credit card bill to find out who the heck I am. Pretty soon we break up, a, 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 break, up a, 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 break up a conversation. I find out Carrie's husband has been deported. She's trying to get him back in town. Her life is a train wreck. You just begin, you go by just knowing people. Just go and just be human. Uh, let's do the Nike thing and just do it. Second major point. And this is where you got to know who you're going to. And this is have a circle of responsibility uh, or a circle of relationships as I'd like to see it. So let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. So I learned several things from this passage. First of all, God gives us a home base. He said, go first to Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. Uh, you know, so you have a home base. What is your home base? He wants you to go first to your home base, and I'm going to equate this to your core. What is your circle of responsibility? You know, when, when I looked at mine, I had, to get, I, I had to get from, I think God's called me to everywhere in the world and to, to everything in the world, to God has called me to be awesome at one thing and not worth a darn at anything else. My knowledge base is nothing, 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 everything, nothing, 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 nothing. So I'm about an inch wide and 300 miles deep in what I do intentionally. But I had to say of my core, who's in my core? Well, obviously my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my core, my parents are both deceased. My two sisters are in my core. Their kids are in my core. Robin's mom and her sister and, and her family are in my core, obviously. But then I had to say, I have a family of progressive foam. That's, they're in my core. That's my family. If something happens to them, it happens to me. If, if they're happy, I'm happy. If they're sad, I'm sad. You know how it is, parents, when you're just as happy as your saddest child? So, you know, you, you're always trying to fix that what's ever going on with your saddest child at Progressive Home, we talk about it being a family, and we treat it that way. Now, I know that's probably in a business book. Somebody would say, that's stupid. What if you had to fire them? I, I don't care. They're, they're in my core. And then I have other relationships as a part of my business that encircle that. People that have become friends in, in that business, that's my core. And I'm going to say yes to that every time. I'll have to say no to a lot of other things, to say yes to that. But that's in my core. And I'd ask you, where is yours? But the next piece we see is that God will empower you. He says, after that, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. God will empower you to minister to your core. He says he's going to. My great illustration of this is a guy named Abner Yoder. Uh, he was my financial partner when I started Progressive Foam. Uh, and he was raised old order Amish, came out of the Amish in the early 60s. And in about 1964, felt that God called him to, be, to minister in the world of business. And so he borrowed $4,000 from a buddy of his uh, out in Berlin, Ohio, where he lived. And by the way, this little church in Berlin, Ohio, with the guys that Abner got saved with, produced 12 self-made millionaires out of that little church in Berlin, Ohio, because they just read the Bible, said well, what it said, and just did it. When I met Abner at 62, I was in my mid-30s, I said, what is your goal in business, Abner? He says, my goal in business is to give $1 million per year away to world missions. I said, wow, that's quite a vision, but I mean, I'm talking about what is your goal? He says, no, that is my goal. At the top of my pro forma profit and loss statement, it says $1 million charitable giving. 
and then I back everything backwards from there. Well, not bad for an eighth grader. Not bad for an eighth grader, because he never went past the eighth grade. Uh, and uh, when he retired at 72, he had 18 plants, 1,600 employees, and routinely gave $1 million away to world missions. I'd say God empowered him. And when you ask Abner, what is it, what is, how do you, how do you, what do you, you attribute to his success? I've heard him say this many times. He's kind of a quiet guy. He's not like me. He's not, he's a very quiet guy. He said, I just went to church a lot. Just went to church a lot. That's, that's it. That's the answer. He has no other answer than that. God empowered him to do what God called him to do. Where God leads, God provides, right? So, uh, but then he tells us we're going to have to be a witness. And this freaks us out. And, and if you've been around church for a while, it freaks you out partially because we have had more contrived, unnatural schemes for how we're going to get the gospel in front of people than you can imagine. You know, we're going to have a stand in the square with a bullhorn and shout out the gospel, or we're going to go door to door, knocking on doors and asking, if you were to die today, would you go? Do you know whether you go to heaven or to hell? It scares the heck out of us. So we don't witness. We think, I'm not prepared. I need more training. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid people are going to ask me a thousand questions that I don't have the answers to. We don't, we don't witness. And I want, to, I want to debunk this for you for a minute. Being a witness is simply telling what you have seen and heard and know or believe to be true. If we're in a court case, it is not the witness's job to win the court case, right? It's the job of the advocate, the lawyer. The lawyer calls witnesses. The witness is not called to manipulate, to push, to, to sum up, to lay out the case, to sum up the case, to make, draw a conclusion, or to get the jury to buy into his position. That's not the witness's job. The witness is just called in to do one simple thing. Say what you've seen and heard and know to be true. God calls you in this verse to be a witness. He doesn't call you to change people's lives. Only God changes people's lives. He doesn't call you to get people saved. Only God calls people unto salvation. He just simply calls us to say what we've seen and heard and know to be true. In my world, I got real comfortable with this, it, it, finally, because I was freaked out about it too. You know, I am, I am a what you see is what you get guy. I'll tell you anything. You can ask Melinda, my daughter who's sitting in the back. I can't keep a secret. Don't want to keep a secret. I'm a very transparent guy. I'm very open with my faith. And I tell people, hey, this is what I believe. This is what I've always thought. This is what I've seen in my life. How about you? What do you think? How do you feel? What have you seen in your life? My opinion is valid. Is valid. If my opinion is valid, so is yours. The fact that you disagree, which will only mean that we will just disagree. We will debate each other's ideas, but we will not debate each other. I'm not here to debate you. I'm just here to simply tell you what I've seen and heard and know to be true. If you can get that in your head, it becomes very natural. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, if you were to tell me you can't talk about being a Christian, I, I don't know what I would say. It's part of who I am. It's not what I do. It's who I am. So uh, it would be like saying you can't talk about loving to eat. You can't tell people you're, you're from Ohio. You can't tell people that you love making foam insulation. You know, it would be like cutting my tongue out. Like I love my family. Uh, you can't tell me I can't talk about that. I'm going to talk about it because it's just a part of who I am. But I'm not coming for your throat while I'm telling you about it. I'm just going to tell you how I feel, what I see and believe to be true. So being a witness is not that big of a problem, but I will tell you that you're going to have to work at relating to your core. You're going to have to work at this. You cannot minister to people if they don't trust you. 
This is why in my business, I violate almost every rule of arm's length with my employees. Because until I have a relationship with them, until they trust me, I cannot minister to them. They will not listen until they trust me. They won't trust me until they know me, and they won't really trust me until they know that I actually care about them. People can't be a project. God didn't call us to, to have projects and for people to be projects. People know when they're a project. Pray for me. I'm going to go see my neighbor because my neighbor's a lost, no good for nothing, reprobate, and I'm going to go in there and fight the good fight of the faith. Well, they're going to know that, that they're a project. They're going to pick up on that pretty quick. Uh, and so forget that. That's not going to really work very well. So you're going to have to do this. And, and think about this. And What you're trying to do is build a bridge strong enough to bear the weight of truth. I've heard this in several places, and I write it down every time I see it. You're building a bridge strong enough to bear the weight of truth because at some point in time, you are going to have to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth is hard to hear. So that's going to happen because you're, you're, you're working at it. And it, it transitions us to the next piece about influence, which is we have to be intentional. So let's look at Luke 10 and verse uh, 3. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and then say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of this town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. So accomplishing God's mission for our life and being a person of influence does require us to be intentional. It does require us to know who we're going to see. That's our core. We've talked about that. You can see here that, that, that they, they knew who they were going to, but then more importantly, they had to have a plan. There, there was an intentionality. There was a plan. They knew there's a whole list of things. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. They had a plan. They didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to go out and be influential. You know, I'll tell you, in my business and in my ministry, in my core, I spent a lot of time praying about, thinking about, talking about, talking to other people about, trying things, evaluating, try again, evaluate what went right, what went wrong. We'll be leaving next Friday, late afternoon, to go to Hilton Head. For 15 years, every year in the fall, I go to Hilton Head, uh, and we get away, Robin and I go together, and we go for the purpose of getting quiet, reading, reflecting, planning, praying, reading, I get half my stuff done, got to go for a walk on the beach because I think by talking, probably surprises you, um, and I need to talk this through with her. And then she says, good idea, dumb idea, good idea, dumb idea, dumb idea, dumb idea, dumb idea. Uh, and then I go back and write that down. But you have, to be, you, you have to have a plan. You can't just wake up one day. But in your plan, realize this. And the next point is God is, has people prepared to help you along the way in your mission that you can't expect. Here he said, you're going to go into a town and you're going to say, hey, I'm here. I don't have any food. I don't have any clothes. And somebody's going to say, hey, come stay with me. They're going to feed you. They're going to clothe you. They're going to give you money. There are going to be people along the way that are going to receive you and help you that you can't plan on. So when you're planning, you've got to plan for the unexpected. You've got to plan for God to provide something you didn't plan to have happen. Because God's got people. God's got people. He does. 
Uh, and, and so we got to plan for that. And the next piece is that you have to plan that there are some people that God has prepared for you. You've got a divine appointment in your core with somebody you need to get cracking and get out there because God's got them out there waiting for you. He says, there are some people that you're going to go to and they're going to listen to every word you say. They're going to receive you because they need to hear what you have to say. I know we think because people look like they got it all together, they look like they need nothing, they look good, they, their house looks good, their car looks good. You guys remember that commercial with the guy riding his lawnmower in the middle of his front yard and he's got his big beautiful house, he's got this spacious lawn, he's driving his lawnmower and he looks at the camera with a big smile on his face. He says, won't somebody please help me? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. People are, people got questions. They're wondering and they don't know. And, and, and sometimes I'll, I'm going to read something to you that came to me just about three weeks ago. My email, this is from a girl that works for me on third shift. She's been with us for a year now, um, Andy Salisbury. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing for the sake of time. But as I come up to my official one-year anniversary for my hire date, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about my experiences here thus far. I can honestly say that I've never worked for a company where all the people are so good to one another. I have some of the best supervisors that there are. She then talks about them. Uh, your company really is my safe haven. It sounds funny, but true. If I'm having a bad day, I always know my spirit will get lifted once I get here. I love working for such wonderful people like you and your wife, employers that actually take time to get to know the people on the floor, employers that take care of their employees. I've never worked for someone that does so much donating, giving back to the community, and giving back to their employees. Here's the key statement. There, there are days that I believe you guys found me instead of me instead of the other way around. She thinks that maybe we found her, we didn't find her, and she didn't find us. There was a divine appointment that God had that put the two of us together. It had nothing to do with us, nothing to do with her. I, think that's, I believe that you guys found me instead of the other way around. I'm thankful to have such a wonderful job and career with such wonderful people that on most days are like my extended family. I want to thank you and Kenny and Steve for taking a chance on me. People, you think everybody's got it together? We think she's got it together. She's thinking, I hope they take a chance on me. I hope they take a chance on me. Well, we, we obviously did. It's been an amazing year of growth, and we can't wait for many more to come. Sometimes God has people to help us we didn't plan for, and sometimes God, people has, God has people prepared for us to talk to them, but we got to get there to talk to them. And then the next one is just plan to be a blessing. He said, heal the sick while you're there. By the way, give, heal the sick while you're there. You know, I think of so many things in the scripture. I could, I could have spent a whole, whole thing on this thing, but Steve told me the floor will open up in 35 minutes and swallow me, so I got to keep moving. <laughs> Proverbs 10:11 says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So I'm driving to work. I got a 35-minute drive to Beach City. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Will the things that I say today be life-giving, or will the things that I say today suck the life out of people? I can tell you nobody is harder on themselves than me, and nobody can be harder on everybody else than me if I'm walking in the flesh. That means i got to have my head in the right place. i got to have my heart in the right place. I got, God has to have somehow grabbed a hold of me and changed what I was going to do today. Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I can tell you it is an, an intentional part of our plan. I want when people walk into my core, first of all, Randy, you don't need to worry about what happens in my core. If it's in my core, you can take a seat and put your feet up. I got it. Now, I don't know about your core, 
I'm going to put my feet up and just watch and laugh at you, but you don't need to worry about what goes on in my core. I got that baby. And when they come in my core, I want them to feel like they walked out of the darkness and into the light. God's got people. We're it. We're the light of the world. I want people to say, as Mandy did and others have said, the best part of my day is when I come to Progressive Home. I had one guy that just started with us about a year and a half ago. Uh, he, he had about three or four weeks. He came to me. I stopped in a plant. I said, Evan, how you doing? Evan Smith is his name. Evan, how you doing? He says, Pat, I just need to tell you, I don't know what's going on in this building. I have more friends so far in this company than I had when I worked eight years for my previous company. I just, I just love coming here. I just love coming here. Isn't this the way it should be? Shouldn't people say, oh, well, of course that's the way it is. Those, that's a Christian company. Well, of course that's the way it is. That just, just should be a no-brainer. We should be the light of the world. This is the opportunity we have as we're being intentional. We didn't become that way because we're not intentional about it. Guys, I'm, I'm, I love tackling problems. Therefore, I can walk in a room with 100 good things and one bad thing uh, and, uh, and ignore the hundred good things and just focus on the one bad thing. Thank goodness God gave me Robin, and Robin's job is to get me to come in because Robin sees a hundred good things, one bad thing, and all she walks in the room and she doesn't see anything. All she, who's here? How are they doing? I wonder how they're doing. At dinner, she's telling me, did you know this? Did you know that? No, I didn't know, but I'll deal with it tomorrow. Um, you know, you just have to be intentional. And then you have to be prepared, guys, to eventually speak the truth. The kingdom of God has come near. There will come a time when that door opens and you need to be prepared to speak the truth. It will come when it's time. Now, we don't need to worry about people asking about the book of Revelations or how Daniel relates to Ezekiel. These are not the questions people ask, so stop worrying about that. The last piece as we're wrapping up is we're going to talk about to be a person of influence, you've got to love people. This seems counterintuitive, right? To be influential, you've got to be like, oh, what's that, uh, what's his name, Trump something? Trump? Uh, you just got to be a buffoon uh, and yell at people and steal things from people and declare bankruptcy and all kinds of really cool stuff. No, that's, that's, I guess that's a form of influence, but not my form, not God's form. So let's look at Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying to, to Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Simple, do this and you will live. Okay, so first of all, people are asking this, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Even atheists have got to be wondering, did I get it right? Did I get it right? What if I get to the end? What do I have to do to eternal, inherit, inherit eternal life? And even life on this earth, I mean, Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly, right? So, you know, what do we have to do to just inherit life? Jesus, the answer, Jesus didn't have to say, it's clear in the scripture. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' response was, duh, it's simple. Do those two things. In another place in Matthew, in another recounting of this conversation, scripture says, Jesus said, in these two things, these two things sums up all the law and the prophets. So the Bible, as it existed in that time in history, all of the Bible summed up in two things. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, my daughter-in-law said this to, to me one time. She says, you know, someday we're going to stand before God, and he's just going to say, listen, I gave you two things to do. Love me and love your neighbor as yourself. 
let's see how you did. And we're going to say, well, I did this. Love God, love your neighbors yourself. We overcomplicate this thing. People don't care about dispensationalism. They're not going to wonder, you know, whether it's divine election or predestination or stop worrying about that. No normal person asks that question. If they do, you can have Pastor Steve tell him he doesn't know. So Jesus said, there's two simple things here. There's just two simple things. Love God, love your neighbor. It's not about complexity. So then the lawyer, the, the, the religious guy, goes on to try to confound Jesus by saying, so then who is my neighbor? We're not going to read that passage, but you know the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, the, 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 the rabbi and the priest and all the, the cool guys go by and leave the, Samaritan, the, the, the injured man dead on the side of the road. Jesus said, the Samaritan comes by. The Samaritan disregards the race rift between the two of them. The Samaritan sees the guy, has compassion on the guy, then picks him up, bandages him up, puts him on his horse, takes him to town, pays money to get him help, and leaves and gets nothing in return. Okay, so what did that have to do with dispensationalism? Nothing. God honored him because he just helped the guy. He had mercy on him. He had mercy on him. And, you know, being a person of influence just starts with having mercy on people. We can do this. We all can do this. This is really simple uh, stuff to do, and uh, how, how can we do it? You know, uh, having mercy on people that God brings into our core, you know, these are a couple, these are a couple of verses that Robin's you know, chirping in my ear while we're walking on the beach. This is the kind of, uh, you know, it's like, who wants to be with somebody that's talking about the Scripture on the beach? Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, very familiar to us at the beginning. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of your, your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. But, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Dispensationalism? Missionary trip to Eurasia to, to, to uh, you know, with the Apostle Paul to get bit by a snake? No, for good works. He built us for good works, which he hath prepared beforehand. He's prepared beforehand that we should walk in these things. Just do good works. If we follow Jesus' example in Acts 10, 38, this one kills me, and, and I, I hate this verse, but God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. So God the Father anoints Jesus with the Holy Ghost. And what did he do? Went around doing good. Just went around doing good. And healing. I'm not so good on the healing part, but I can do good. You know, Jesus himself, it just, just went around doing good. And then, you know, you look in, in, uh, in 1 Timothy 6, and of course, this is all through Scripture. I promise not to do any more of this after this one verse. But as for the rich in this present age, and guys, we're all rich. We're rich in love. We're rich in affection. We're rich in attention and time. We're rich, some of us, in money uh, and in, in, in resources. So as a, for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope in, uncertain, in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So in order to have what is truly life, we've got to be smart enough to give away what God gives us. God's people should be the most generous people on the earth. We should, without a doubt, be the most generous people. It should be our goal to be able to be generous. 
God has given us every spiritual blessing in high places in Christ Jesus. We should be ready to use everything we've got. Let me give you one example of how this actually turns into ministry. Uh, we have, our business is involved in, in funding things all over the world, and one of the things we were doing was a, we were supporting a group called Seeds Ministry in Katali, Kenya. And this crazy maniac, uh, Op Gwinnard, that went there, just a construction guy, went there, fell in love with those people, and he, he, he took that verse from 1 Timothy that says, religion pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, care for the widows and the, and the orphans in their affliction, and keep yourself unspotted for the world. He was, had a ministry to 17 widows and 300 orphans in a slum called Kipsango. Kids are sleeping on the street. We got behind it and we started building bread ovens. We put in a chicken farm. We helped put in a water factory and we started to support this ministry by providing food. And, and so we had the people from Africa came to our plants. We had one in Arkansas, one here, and just did a presentation of what was going on there. And you got these kids, you know, they, got the, the, they get food, they got a little sign that says, thank you, progressive foam. Uh, and uh, they, it was, it, you, you couldn't hear a, a, a pin drop in the room, I can tell you. Uh, people are saying, are we really doing this? And the answer is yes, we are doing this. The money that we make gets funneled back out. It gets put in your pocket for your bonuses. And then after you get your part, we funnel it out into the world. That's why we exist. That's why we have a company. Uh, and so a month or so later, I go back to Arkansas, and uh, there's this guy, Mike Cox, who's a maintenance guy for us. Now, Mar Mike is a ex-Marine, tattoo-wearing, Arkansas razor, back tobacco-chewing, deep-fried food-eating Arkansas guy who uh, is working in our maintenance department. Good guy, really good guy, not a nice man. Not a nice man, not a choir boy by any stretch. And we, were ha we had a roundtable discussion about the principles from the book of Proverbs we, that we were doing at the time. And I went in there to lead that meeting. And Mike is in the meeting. I said, wow, Mike, I'm sort of surprised to see you here. I mean, I don't want to say that, but I'm sort of surprised to see her. Ah, oh, Pat, he says, you know, says that, that whole Africa thing. And he says, I, I went home and told my wife, he says, you know, I, if I'm going to work for a company like this, I'm, I, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to get my act together. He says, Pat, he says, I, I wasn't raised this way. My mom and dad didn't raise me to, to be like this. I, I was raised better than this. I was raised by good people, and I was raised to be a better man than this. And I, got, I got my family back in church. Now, listen, I didn't tell him to tell me that. I didn't tell him to go back to church. I didn't ask him about his parents. He's just telling me all this stuff. You know why? He saw our good works, and he glorified our Father, which is in heaven. And, and God, there's this little thing in all of us called a conscience. It's garbage in, garbage out. So when we feed it, bad things, bad things come out. But when we feed that conscience good things, our good works, you know what happens? That conscience steps up and says, I'm here. I'm here. Listen to me. And we keep feeding that thing good stuff. And you know what it does? It gets stronger and stronger. God uses this to begin drawing people to himself. We don't get people saved. We're witnesses. We do good works. We do the things we can. The Holy Spirit of God saves people. Um, so... It can be done. So I'm wrapping up now. I, I, I'm waiting for the, I'm hearing the hinges start to loosen up on the floor here. John chapter 15 and verse 16. You've not chosen me. Get over yourself. He chose us. I've chosen you. I've ordained you. He's ordained us to be ministers. You have not chosen me. I've chosen you and I've ordained you. Why? So you can bring forth fruit and fruit you bring, that you go, go forth and bring forth fruit and the fruit that shall remain. And whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in, in my name, he may give it to you. God chose, has not chosen, 
God chose us. He's ordained us. He's calling us to get going. Uh, we don't have to get on a boat and get bitten by snakes and get thrown in prison to do this. We can do this by walking to the end of our driveway and meeting somebody. God will empower us to do what he's called us to do, but he's telling us we need to go. We need to identify our core. Let's get clear. God didn't call you to do everything to everybody. Get clear on your core. Uh, be intentional. And then the fun part, just love people. Just respect people. This is not, not hard to do. There's no magic involved here. There's no magic involved. Anybody can do it. God has put me in a position of more, more what's the word I'm looking for, responsibility, but also influence than I could have ever imagined. It still sort of freaks me out. You know, I, it seems like almost anywhere I go, I, I, this happened to me, I was in Washington, D.C. this week. I'm a supplier to an industry that now they're asking me to be, can you help lead us out of trouble? It, it, I'm not even, I'm just a supplier to this group. I don't know how this keeps happening, but it does. God will do this because he needs us to be there. He's called us to get out there. So I'm going to ask you about the one or two things that you wrote down. What are the one or two things that you wrote down either in your mind or in your heart that you can do this week about this? I'm going to ask you to pray about it. And if you ever wondered what the Holy Spirit sounds like, it's a lot like my voice. You see, <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to tell you what the Holy Spirit's going to say, and you just accept that that's true, right? <laughs> Kidding. Kind of. All right. So we're going to pray. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to ask you to, 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 to pray, and then I'm going to close this in prayer, and we're going to ask the, the worship group to come in and help us. So bow your head, and I'd, I'd like to ask you to pray. Please pray earnestly about what you can do about becoming a person of influence, about what you can do with these practical steps that will, God will allow you to do that work. Just pray and ask earnestly for God to work in you to do that. Lord God, we humble ourselves before you. Really can't believe that you allow us to be a part of the work that you do. We know that you're God above all, blessed forevermore. You don't need us, but you allow us to be a part of your work and we thank you we thank you for the calling we accept the fact that, that to whom much is given much is expected we accept that lord and we just ask that you give us wisdom that you do the work in our heart that we could see how we can go what is the right way to go who is the right group to go to where is the right place to work and maybe by extension some things that we can't do because we're focusing more on the things you want us to do lord we want to do what you want us to do we don't care what other people think we don't care about anybody else's acclaim. We don't need to be admired. We just need to know what you want us to do, and we want to do it. Lord, help us to do that. I pray that you'd work in us, in our church. I pray for Mission View, that you would enable us, Lord, to reach our community. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for our pastor, Steve Marshall, and for the vision that he brings to us, for the guidance that he brings to us, and for the times that he comes up in this pulpit and is on fire He's on fire proclaiming your word. Just I pray that you'd bless him and Lee and their family and just help us to, to be able to follow that leadership. Pray for our elders that you'd give them guidance as they lead us and help us to lead our families in our own area. We pray this all today in Jesus' name. Amen.